0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. It's not
1: unusual for a person to turn to religion when they're experiencing a great deal of suffering or loss in their personal life. This is a very popular direction that a person will turn in when they are experiencing a great deal of suffering is that they turn to God with hopes that they will be able to experience some restoration, that they will be able to recover from the significant amount of loss that they personally experienced through the suffering that they experienced in whatever part of life it may be, whether it be financial or personal. Regardless of what area of life it may be, a person will generally turn to religion as a means of trying to recover from their losses. In response to this, there are many religious people who are considered to be leaders in their religious organizations who do specifically cater to these needs. They will reach out to other people under the context of, come to me and I will teach you how to be restored, and I will provide you with the means and mechanism by which you can be restored first to your God, and then through your devotion to your God, then he will respond By restoring to you those things that you lost, by providing you with means by which you can recover from the suffering that you are experiencing right now. If you will just seek after him first, then all of the things that you want or desire will be added to your life because that's what he wants to do for you. He wants to give you everything that you need and he wants to protect you from experiencing any suffering or any loss in your life. This is what many people do promote as a means of trying to recruit other people into their fellowships, into their communities. This is a very popular means of evangelism. And many people will respond to this very well. They will respond to this because deep down inside they know that they are definitely hurting, that they are definitely suffering, and they don't know what else to do. This is also described in the context of Jesus is the answer to every problem in your life. No matter what it is, Jesus will be the answer. And so when people are experiencing Problems in their life, they go to the Lord Jesus, believing that they will find solutions to their deep-rooted problems, that through their pursuit of him, they will find ways, they will discover ways, or he will just simply bestow to them some sense of restoration in the midst of the losses that they're experienced. And so people will turn to religion as a means of trying to recover from suffering, or they also turn to religion for the purpose of trying to escape or avoid any suffering, not just recover from it, but also to escape the prospect of it. And they will also do that in order to try to avoid any suffering in their life. Now, this, of course, depends on who they participate with, because there are many religious people who will say things like, now, you had better be sure that you get all of the sin out of your life and make sure you don't sin, because if you if you do start sinning more or you aren't successful in getting the sin out of your life, then your God will punish you, he will cause sufferings to occur in your life, so that... He can inspire you so that he can encourage you to stop sinning. That's what many people will say as well, as a, as a means of trying to encourage people and inspire them to start living a more holy life. And so there can be great risk in turning to the Lord. There can be great risk in turning to religion, according to this theology. Because if you are not experiencing a great deal of suffering or loss in your life, you may start. You may start experiencing that now because of your failure to live in obedience to the way that your God would want you to live. That's how many people present their doctrines. That's how many people present their beliefs. And so there can be great risk in the minds of many people. I personally do not believe that our God is following us around on a daily basis, trying to figure out what sins he wants to encourage us to stop committing. And he does that by causing suffering in our life and intervening in our lives in order to prevent us from experiencing any blessings or any success in our daily experience. I personally don't believe that that's how he relates to us at all. However, there are many people who really do believe that. That's what they really believe They sincerely believe that and they encourage other people to walk in their daily lives as though that truly is the truth of God. But inherently within all of these messages, within all these perspectives, these theological beliefs, inherently within them is the idea or is the philosophy that your relationship with God is an opportunity for you to avoid suffering. It is an opportunity for you to overcome suffering. It is a way for you to live a more blessed life. That's effectively what they are saying. But when the Lord our God called the Apostle Paul to himself, when he intervened in the life of Paul and called him to himself, he had something very different in mind. Something very different in mind as was described in Acts chapter 9 verse 16. In Acts chapter 9 verse 16 he said, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, what kind of an evangelistic campaign would that be if I was to go out into the world and I was to tell people, look, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and so that you can have an opportunity to really suffer for his name's sake. Doesn't that sound exciting? Isn't that appealing? Are you interested in coming to faith in the Lord Jesus? Are you interested in being a part of the body of Christ and so that you can experience more suffering in your life? Is that really going to be an effective message? Well, of course, it. Can depend, however, to Paul, to the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, this was the initial message that the Lord Jesus communicated to him, in effect, was that you are going to live the rest of your life suffering for my name's sake. That's going to be your life. Aren't you excited about it? Be excited about it. That was the message that he gave to him. He'd never told him that he would have great wealth. He never told him that he would have great relationships with other people. He'd never said that he would be able to experience all kinds of blessings in his life. That was not the message that the Lord Jesus gave the Apostle Paul. And so if we were to compare the Apostle Paul with many of the things that people are teaching today, how would he really stand up to what many people believe? How would he be looked at in terms of our faith in terms of what we believe today? This is a very interesting question. If he was here today, if he began his ministry today, how would we look at the Apostle Paul? How would we look at the effectiveness of his life? How would we look at him in terms of the effectiveness of his ministering the gospel to other people? How would we perceive him? How would we judge him? In many cases, I sincerely believe that people would reject him because he was not prospering as they believe a Christian should actually prosper. They would evaluate him on the basis of his successes in their minds. That's how they would evaluate him, and they would come to find that he apparently did not have many big successes. He certainly was effective in some people's lives, but certainly not in other people's lives. Some churches were started as a result of his ministry, but in some areas of the world, there were no real churches that were established, and those who were established, many of them did not survive. And so if that's the case, then how would we really judge him? How would we really evaluate him? And yet, inherently, within this kind of a question, we are assuming that a person can be judged according to the blessings or the sufferings or the cursings that they are experiencing in their own personal life. We believe that that is the way that we evaluate a believer in Christ Jesus. We believe that that's how we evaluate their faith. We believe that that's how we evaluate their ability to contribute to our lives here in this world. That's what people believe. It's very unfortunate because it certainly is not true. It's not true at all, but there are a lot of people who do certainly believe that and live their lives according to that particular belief. But when it came to the Apostle Paul, this is certainly not the case. He was called to a life of suffering now when considering that we can look at the scriptures and see that he was certainly quite effective especially to this day look at the scriptures and you can see that he wrote the majority of the new testament now if he wrote the majority of the new testament i would venture to say that he had something worth saying and he had something worth listening to And certainly that's the case because we have been passing his letters around ever since he wrote them. Throughout the course of the last 2,000 years approximately, we've been passing his letters around, being encouraged by them, getting to know our God as a result of them. They are certainly having a tremendous influence on many people's lives, mine especially. I am very thankful for the letters that Paul wrote and for the testimony that he gave. And so if I was to evaluate his effectiveness, or if I was to evaluate how blessed he was, then how would I really measure that? This certainly, to me, is a way of measuring it, because through his letters, I can see that he grew to know his God. He grew in a personal relationship with his God to the extent where he grew to know him. And to me, that is a big deal. That regardless of the sufferings that he experienced, he grew to know who his God really is. Now, sufferings are not a bad thing. Many people look at sufferings as these moments in their life when they are going to experience a great deal of loss and never be able to experience any benefit from it whatsoever. But that certainly is not the case, as far as I can tell, because sufferings are a wonderful opportunity to grow to know your God even more. They are a wonderful opportunity for you to truly, deeply know Him in a very personal way. Because often it is in the midst of these sufferings that we do turn to the Lord Jesus, that we do turn to Him to meet the deepest needs that we truly have. Because the sufferings that we encounter are, in general, reminders to us that we do have deep needs that this world will never be able to fulfill. It's a wonderful opportunity to be reminded of that if we will only believe it to the extent where we will turn to the person who will meet the deep needs that we do have. If we will only do that, then we have a new opportunity to get to know our God, especially in contrast with the sufferings that we experience. Let me give you an example. Assume that we experience a great deal of suffering because of economic hardship or because of a personal relationship that really goes bad. When it comes to economic hardship, I can certainly appreciate that because in general we are trying to succeed economically and success to us is measured by the number of things that we are able to acquire by the possessions that we're able to collect among ourselves and store for future purposes. That's one of the ways that we measure our economic success. And if we don't experience that kind of success, then we call that a suffering. We call that a great deal of loss, either because of a missed opportunity or because of a direct loss where we just simply have to give things away. We have to give them up or we have to sell them. Either way, we no longer have them, and so we consider that to be a loss. We consider that to be a significant loss. And yet in the midst of that, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to be reminded of the reality that this is not heaven, and we will not be here forever, and we cannot establish our eternal life on the basis of the things that we are able to possess while we are here, and perhaps even bestow to our children or to our heirs later on after we physically die. For those who do live their life in that way, I sincerely believe that they definitely have a misplaced dependency that they are depending and trusting on what they are able to acquire here from an economic point of view as opposed to what they are able to acquire in a personal relationship point of view with the Lord Jesus. The same thing goes with personal relationships with other people here on earth that in many cases we experience a failure in relationships due to one reason or another, and it doesn't necessarily matter whose fault it is at that point. At that point, we experience a great deal of suffering. It's a wonderful opportunity to be reminded of the truth that people do not exist here for the purpose of meeting our personal needs. That's not why they're here. And yet so often we tend to forget that, or we tend to be convinced of that, or deceived into believing that. Either way, we are believing that, And it turns out not to be true as is revealed as we continue to engage in these relationships and we find out that these people who we talk with, who we visit with, who we spend our lives with are not God. And so they certainly cannot meet the very deepest needs that we have in our hearts because God reserves that for himself to meet the deepest needs that we have. And so these sufferings are wonderful opportunities to be reminded of the truth that our God truly is here to meet the deepest needs of our heart and of who we are as a person. There are wonderful opportunities for that. Otherwise, it would be unlikely that we would truly understand and appreciate who our God is to us, who the Lord Jesus is to us. It would be very difficult for us to truly appreciate the value of Him in our lives. And it would also be very difficult for us to truly know and appreciate and experience His character his very being, who he is, without having the evils and the sufferings and the losses in this world to contrast with him, to see and to show and to demonstrate what his character is truly like. Without the sufferings in this world, it would be very difficult for us to be able to understand and appreciate the value of who he is as a person in our lives. Now, I sincerely believe that the Apostle Paul Really understood this. I do believe that he understood this. I don't know when he understood this. I'm not able to determine precisely when he got in touch with this reality that the sufferings that he was going to be experiencing were wonderful opportunities for him to grow to know the Lord Jesus much more. I don't really know when that occurred. I personally believe that as he continued to live his life, he experienced more sufferings and through that he came to know the Lord Jesus more. But when this actually became a reality to him and something that he would understand truly in terms of his relationship with his God, I don't really know. I don't really know when that may have occurred. I don't really know when he had a complete and full understanding of not only the gospel but the implications of the gospel and how that would have an effect on our lives, but I do know that he grew to understand this over a period of time. That it was not just some spontaneous revelation that was revealed to him, and he knew all things about the power of God and all of the mysteries that have been revealed through the prophets and through the scriptures and through the revelations that the Lord Jesus gave Paul personally. When that really occurred, I don't know, but I can see in Acts chapter 9, I can see that Paul was attempting with great sincerity to reach out to people with what he did know. Now, the effectiveness of Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 9 does not seem to be very profound. It does not appear that many people responded to his message. Now, that could mean that it was because he was relatively immature in his faith. That could be a distinct possibility. It could be that he was very mature in his faith and people were not responding to the message that he was wanting to share with the people. We don't know. We don't have enough evidence to know at what level he was at in his maturity and in his growth at the time that he was in Jerusalem, for example, in Acts chapter 9, or when he was in Damascus. We don't really know. But what we do know is that the people were not responsive. They did not want to receive whatever message he was wanting to give. And the end result of that is described in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 29. In Acts chapter 9, verse 29, it says, And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, back to his hometown, in other words. And so that was the end of his ministry, his initial ministry, After he experienced the Lord Jesus on his way to Damascus and after he was in Damascus for a period of time, and I do believe that he actually went out to Arabia for about three years, three and a half years, where he certainly pondered and prayed and asked the Lord about the things that the Lord was showing to him and the implications of that. And then I think it was about 14 years later that he actually arrived in Jerusalem, as was described here in Acts chapter 9. But then after that, he went to Tarsus. He was sent away to Tarsus because apparently he was not very effective in terms of communicating his message, and so they sent him away. But even then, when he was there, I'm sure that he would still be reaching out to people. It's just that we don't have a record of that. And so while he was there, quite likely he was still engaging with other people, trying to share with them the truths that the Lord had revealed to him. However, there was a period of time before he came back onto the scene. And in the meantime, what happened? In Acts chapter 9, verse 31... It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. And so even though Paul was absent, even though the Apostle Paul was not there, the church did continue to grow. The church did continue to mature, mature to what degree, we don't know. What we can tell, what we can determine, is that they did continue to grow in numbers, and they did continue to grow in their faith, and that the church experienced a sense of peace because of his absence. Now, this can mean a couple of things. It can mean, first of all, because of his absence, because it wasn't there stirring up a bunch of trouble. That could be one way that they experienced peace. However, I believe that in another context, they also experienced peace, because in the beginning of chapter 9, Saul was going out trying to persecute the Christians, The Lord Jesus intervened personally and stopped him from doing that. And apparently, there were no other people who decided to take his position, to take his role, to go out and try to imprison other Christians. And so because of that, it appears that the church was able to experience some peace in their lives right here at this stage in the development of the church because there was no one left who would necessarily be trying to persecute them especially because of the testimony of Paul who would want to start persecuting the church because of the risk involved of having a similar experience that the Apostle Paul did many of the people who would consider taking his place might consider that and consider doing something else instead because of the risk of being confronted by the Lord Jesus and becoming a lunatic like Paul was, or at least that is how they may have perceived him if they did not believe in the Lord Jesus. And so because of that, I sincerely believe that the church experienced some peace as well considering the circumstances. So what would Paul's life look like after this? What would his life really demonstrate? What would his relationship with his God really be about at this point? Well, it's difficult to say because we don't know precisely where he was at in his maturity in Christ Jesus by this time. But personally, I do believe that before Barnabas went to go retrieve him and take him out into the Gentile world to present the gospel as he did, I sincerely believe that just before that occurred at some point the Lord really matured him quite a bit in terms of his understanding of the grace of God. I personally believe that that would be the case, and so whatever he was doing, whenever this began, I know that there was a moment when his life would definitely be changed quite a bit. You see, his life prior to believing in Christ Jesus was a life of living in obedience to the Mosaic Law as best he possibly could. That would be his life. His life was definitely a life of living by the law, of trying to live a life of repentance and obedience, repenting from his sins and trying to obey the commandments of God in order to demonstrate how much he loves God and in order to try and obtain blessings from God and avoid cursings from God so that he would not experience any sufferings in his life. That is the traditional model in terms of how a person would live. But at some point, he would definitely come to understand the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins to the extent where he would recognize that he does not live by the law anymore. At some point, this would be real in his life, and we certainly don't know when it was, but I definitely do know and understand and believe that just before he went out on his missionary journeys, he did get in touch with this. He got in touch with this reality that his daily life was not to be a life of repenting and obeying, but a life of walking by faith and walking in trust in what the Lord Jesus had done for him. That at some point he certainly understood that his life was not to be a life of living by laws, but instead his life was to be a life of living in thankfulness, being thankful for what the Lord Jesus had accomplished for him. At some point he got in touch with that, and so at some point he experienced the grace and the mercy of God, and he experienced peace and rest in his own heart, as a result of what Christ Jesus had truly done for him, just simply because he came to understand the truth of that, and he would believe that truth, and he would walk in it in his daily life. At some point, there would be a distinct transition in his life experience, and so by the time he would enter into the Gentile world, his entire gospel message would be very different compared to what it would be like when he first got saved. Without question, I sincerely believe that. His message would then be a message of come to the Lord Jesus and experience the forgiveness that you truly have and receive the free gift of eternal life. And now that you have received the free gift of eternal life, then walk in the freedom that you do have, not to go out and indulge the flesh, but rather to experience the love and the acceptance and the grace and mercy and the purpose that your God has for you. Receive these things and walk in your daily life with these things that you do have which fulfill the deepest need of your heart as you experience this relationship with your God him giving all that you truly need personally to you this certainly is a message that the apostle paul had by the time he went out into the gentile world and began his official formal ministry after this description in acts chapter 9 but in the meantime the church did continue the church did continue to develop And the church did have a significant influence on many people's lives. Peter, for example, the Apostle Peter, as described in Acts chapter 9 beginning in verse 32, he went out as well because of the dispersion of people who were scattered because of the persecution. He went out to go and reach out to those people who were scattered about. He went to go visit with them, to go and minister to them. And when he went out, there were many miracles that the Lord our God performed within and through Peter. There were many miracles that he performed. And we have those described here in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32, where he helped someone who was paralyzed. He raised somebody from the dead. We have many examples of the Lord Jesus being actively involved in people's lives through the Apostle Peter as Peter goes out and visits various people. But then he arrives in Joppa, and when he arrives in Joppa, the Lord has an amazing opportunity to do very powerful work in the church, because up to this point, the church only recognized that a Jew could be saved. If a person was a Gentile, they would have to first convert to Judaism, and then they could be saved. But beginning in Acts chapter 10, we have the testimony of the Lord Jesus showing the church that a Gentile can also be saved without first becoming a Jew, and he does this Through the Apostle Peter. I believe that this is evidence that shows that Paul did not quite have a full understanding of the gospel until after he went to Tarsus, after he went to Tarsus and was there waiting for Barnabas to take him out into the Gentile world where he would minister to the Gentiles after a period of time. I believe that this message was initially given to Peter, that it was a key that was given to him to unlock the door to the Gentiles so that a Gentile could come into the church and be welcomed by the church, recognizing, of course, that a Gentile can actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. Now, I believe that that was a message that was given through Peter. However, I do believe that it was the Apostle Paul who actually took that message, carried that message, and actually described what the implications were in light of that message that a Gentile could actually be saved. I believe that through his understanding of forgiveness and through the revelation that was given through Peter, he was able to take this message further Well beyond what the early church in Jerusalem was able to consider until Paul brought it to them in Acts chapter 15. It was in Acts chapter 15 that he and Barnabas brought this message to the church in Jerusalem for them to consider and the results of that council is described in that chapter which I will come to shortly. But I am out of time for this broadcast and so I will continue in Acts chapter 10 in the next broadcast.